Robinson Super Cruiser has called my capella. Go network ticket to ride. Greed and Mysterium, Escape from Aliens, Paperback and... Hello and welcome to Board of Games, the podcast where Jeff Setti and Lachlan Albert talk about games and Lachlan pretends to know how to podcast. What a disaster we're having tonight, but we are live, we are on the air, we're here for the third time. I am joined, as usual, by Jeff Setti, the man himself. Jeff, how you doing, buddy? I'm well, I'd love to pretend my screen's frozen right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Absolute chaos here. Look, we're we're trying things, we're getting things to work the best we can, but you know, sometimes things happen. Oh well, it is what it is. And you know, we're here to talk about basically what we like to do, playing board games. If you like to play board games too, make sure you are watching us. We are officially live on our own Twitch channel. That's so exciting. It's twitch.tv slash board of games podcast. You can find us there. You'll be able to uh, hit the follow button so you get notified every time we go live. Hopefully we'll be able to do some more fun stuff there. Um, As well, make sure you're following our social media to know what's going on. We're board of games podcast on Facebook. If you look at the little ticker below, now Jeff has actually frozen and gone away. We're at board of games pod on X or Twitter at Board of Games Podcast on Instagram, and you just search Facebook for Board of Games. Now that Jeff's gone, you can see the absolute filth behind me. Sorry about that, folks. You can see my my board game pile that uh, lives on the floor as things get transported around. So it's all going to chaos today. But that's the life of doing live podcasting, you know. If you are joining us on one of those recorded uh, services such as, you know, Spotify or Podcast Addict. We really appreciate you coming on board. Today, our basic theme is, as usual, we're each going to talk about a new board game. We're each going to talk about an older board game. We're going to talk about some board games that are currently on crowdfunding. And then we're going to go ahead and have ourselves a bit of a draft. Our draft this week is something special. It's games that are worth the time. So games that take a bit longer than the things we might usually talk about, but it's worth it, you know? Some of those games do take a long time to get into, but that's not always a bad thing, you know? So seeing as Jeff's not currently with me, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, talk about the thing I'm going to talk about. So let me just get up the appropriate little thing here so you can all see the extremely fancy presentation I've made while I talk about a solo game here, Final Girl. Uh, Today I'm doing something a little bit different. I'm talking about a couple of solo games actually and Final Girl is something that absolutely blows me away. It is a solo only game. Uh, It's designed for one player by themselves Although I am a little bit of a strange person because I think that if you're making decisions, you can make them cooperatively. So my partner and I actually play Final Girl as a two-player game, even though there's only one set of decisions to make. Because when we're playing games like Pandemic, we tend to agree to make certain decisions anyway. And so that's just what we do in Final Girl. We go, I think we should play this card. Do you agree on playing that card? Yeah, you do. Fantastic. Let's play that. Final Girl uh, is a game where you play as the the final girl in a horror movie. You go around trying to rescue other survivors, running away from whatever villain of the piece is there, um, with lots of those tropes of classic horror, 80s B-movie horror coming through. So, for example, if you're watching our video here, you'll be able to see an image with uh, some of the miniatures. Now, a lot of the miniature, the miniatures and etc. There's lots of stuff that you can buy to be additional pieces to this game. The miniatures are additional pieces. Normally, it comes with little wooden meeples, um, like you can see for the other survivors there. But you can see you can buy miniatures for the final girls and for the different killers. And in this example, you can see. Uh, one of the killers, this one is a, a bit of a slasher villain with a pig mask chasing down the final girl. Jeff, welcome back. We're just discussing Final Girl, a co- a solo horror game. Now, before I go on, Jeff, have you played any Final yeah, Girl? Yeah, I've heard great things about Final Girl and the whole series. Yeah, that's no, one I of the cool haven't. Um, I believe it's all excellent, though, and it's all... I was going to say, it's all film-based, isn't it? 
Yeah, so the idea is none of it is licensed, but it's all, because it is trying to evoke that theme of a horror movie, the way you purchase it is you have to buy a core box that comes with the basic components, but the core box won't let you play. You have to buy a feature film box, which is functionally an expansion. But I really like that they've done this because it means that they could have just sold you an $80 game with the worst one that they've got packaged in. But instead, they sell you the $40 core components, and then you can pick which $40 box you want to slap in alongside it for your first one, right? Yeah, so, for right. example, the one that this big image is of is the one that is kind of typically seen as the the first game, which is uh, Camp Happy Trails, um, Friday which the is definitely... It's definitely not Friday the 13th. I don't know why no. you would insinuate that, Jeff. Of course no. it's not. Um, <laughs> but... You know, you are at a summer camp pursued by a masked killer who walks slowly, wielding sharp weapons. Um, and it does such a good job of evoking the theme. The thing that I've found with Final Girl is that after every game, I want to tell people about what happened because the story that it evokes is so, so very clearly something that would happen in a horror movie. So I played the the box that's definitely not Friday the 13th and had this scenario where the definitely not Freddy Krueger was just storming through people's houses, taking them out. Eventually I lured everyone out into the street. And then luckily the police drove right through the middle of the city, was able to escort everyone out. I armed myself to the teeth and then forced myself to go to sleep to fight in his realm. Unreal stuff. The way yeah. the theme comes out of this is amazing. It's all dice-based, which means that sometimes you just get screwed by the dice, but because it's a solo game, that gives it variation and replayability. Um, what you're yeah, seeing in these pictures are the five season... Yeah, these five season one boxes that you're seeing up here are all good. Um, thematically, they're all super different. Um, everything other than Camp Happy Trails, which is kind of the base game, so to speak, they've all got interesting gimmicks. There's one at a carnival where the villain has his little uh, little Pinocchio puppets that'll go around and attack you as minions. There's, uh, yeah, exactly. There's Dr. Fright on Maple Lane and you have to fight him in your dream. You can't fight him in real life. Uh, there's a haunted house with a ghost in it, some kind of poltergeist, maybe? Uh, and in that one, you can't mm. kill that ghost. The way to win is there's a little girl in the house who you have to rescue from the haunted house. Uh, and then there's no. Inkanyamba, which is like a, a deep African. Uh, it's so cool. It's like a traditional African tribesman who's taken up the uh, the guise of a fictional killer from their mythology to kill tourists who are standing on their sacred ground really neat um and then i've i've got all the season two boxes as well there's also five of them but one wow. thing i love is the way that the film boxes work i can't believe i'm going to rant about a box but it's it's just the best each box comes with a killer and a location and you buy the box and the box has a magnetic lid on each side one side, the magnetic lid, is actually the board with all the killer rules on it. And in that side, you have all the components for the killer. The other side, you take off the magnetic lid. That magnetic lid is the map that you play on, and it has all the pieces for that location. And then on top of that, it's fully mix and match. You can play any killer in any location and mix their gimmicks. So, for example, if you want to fight Freddy Krueger in the haunted house from oh, the Poltergeist God. box, you can do that. This game blows me away. I want to talk about it all the time. Uh, I've only played one of the season two boxes, which is the uh, the alien one on a, set on a spaceship. And it was immediately my favorite one so far, which bodes very well for the rest of season two. Um, I cannot rave Good. about this game highly um, enough. Cannot rave. Glad you mentioned that. Glad you mentioned that, but we'll get back to that later. Are you a, are you a horror movie fan, Lachlan? I'm not a horror movie fan. I really don't watch horror movies, but the way this evokes the theme is irresistible. Hmm. Great. It sounds uh it sounds like my jam. 
to be honest. It sounds 100% like my jam. Um, I have seen it at a variety of game shops and resisted the temptation because it looks like a bit of an investment, but, boy, it sounds like fun. Boy, that sounds like fun. It's Yeah, it's got a really cool, it's not quite a deck-building element, but each turn you get an allocation of time, and that time can be spent playing actions from your hand, which go get discarded, or at the end of your turn you spend your remaining time to buy cards to put in your hand for next time. So you're constantly right. balancing, like, saving the cards for next turn and not doing too many actions so that you've got time to buy different cards that you can then do next turn. So it's a little bit deck builder-like, but in a way where it's only your hand as your whole deck. Like, you've always got access to the cards you buy. Mm. I I think it's brilliant. I think that even if you just buy the core box and one of those feature films, you will have plenty but I have spent a disgusting amount of money on this because every time I touch it, I have a great experience. <laughs> yeah, look, it sounds it sounds terrific. It sounds it just sounds great. Um, yeah, my new that's your new game. I take it that's your. Uh, it is. It is. Have you got release? a new game to talk about there, Jeff? Yes, I do. I have something that's the polar opposite of this. Uh, I have a family puzzler, and I'm saying it's a family puzzler because you can play it with three mates or three members of your family, and you're going to have a hell of a lot of fun. It is The Initiative. The Initiative is a game which it's a group of kids. Uh, you can see the comic book down there, which holds all the secrets. It's a group of kids who uh, buy an old board game in the 80s, and they <clears throat> go to someone's house and they start playing it, and it gets them into a bit of trouble, and they have to solve mysteries to get out of it. Look, it's it's a uh, cryptic clue and uh, puzzle jumble game um, that holds more secrets. Like, if I started to talk about some of the things that happen, it would be major, major spoiler territory. But there's more to the box and more to the board than you think when you pull it out. There's more to the cards than you think when you pull it out. It's a kind of game where you need you need to have a paper and pen. And it's not quite a legacy, but yet it tells an ongoing story and you can do three or four missions in one night and then stop. Now, the really cool thing is when you stop the main game, there's a heap more missions. Great, fine, that's wonderful. A lot of games offer that. But now they're putting missions online. So the company that produced this are putting missions online so you can just grab a bunch of those missions and keep that's going awesome. and keep playing. It's such a joy. Everyone's got their own abilities. Everyone's got their own little things they can do. And then throughout the game, as the game grows, you get more and more things you can do. It's just such damn fun. We, uh, My gaming group polished this off in about six weeks because we just really enjoyed playing it. It will send you back to being a kid. Uh, but it's also a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure. So you're also following the paths of these kids and you've kind of got to choose the right way to go because you choose the wrong way. You can end up with a really depressing ending. But um, <laughs> it's it's such fun. Look, it's such a lovely game and everything about it is terrific. I, I, I absolutely love the initiative. Uh, it has been a bit hard to get. I managed to get it last year at this place at PAX. Um, having looked for it high and low for about six months, it was a game gaming group in Sydney that brought it down. Uh, but you, you you may still have trouble finding it, so you might need to order it online. But, boy, it's a joy when you get to it. I have a question about the initiative because it's something that piqued my interest. But like you said, it can be it – is, it is pushed as being a little bit family-friendly. So one of the questions I have is – does the game feel meaty enough to be worth your time? Like, I love those experiences that evolve over time, and mm. that is enough to get me into some games. For example, uh, there's a game called Zombie Kids and Zombie Kids Evolution, which are great mm. fun. The game is nothing. It's a, it's yeah. a tiny little thing. On, on your turn, your option is, do I move left or right or not at all? Whoa! But because it's got that kind of progression in it, it's fun enough to play. The question I have with this one is, is the game fun or is that progression and those hidden elements fun? They're both fun. 
because the game within the game, which is, I know this is a bit convoluted, but it is a convoluted, like it's a game within the game, uh, is incredible fun because you're playing, you're reading the instructions as kids, but you're playing it as the adult version of those kids, which is great. Um, I, each mission takes about 30 minutes. So you, it's easy to pick up and put down. And they all kind of, they, they're all different kinds of puzzles. There's there's Morse code, there's backwards lettering, there's all kinds of things. I'm not going to say any more about that. No, no, but I actually a... uh, know someone who has a copy of this that I may be able to borrow. And uh, I, th I think on your recommendation, I just might have to do it because this sounds really delightful. I think you should, and I look forward to hearing what you think. I personally loved it, um, but the, the sad thing is you can't play it again. It doesn't offer that replayability. Yeah. But, of course, there's so many missions online that you can just go ahead and complete them all. You can go ahead and just grab your mates and complete them, and there's so many more missions in the box that we haven't even gotten to. Uh, <clears throat> just bloody wonderful. Just great. Yeah, that sounds uh, The only thing I would suggest you do with your friend is say, uh, I want to borrow the initiative, reset everything. Oh, okay. That's a really hot tip there. We purposefully wrote everything in pencil so we could rub things out. So right. if someone wants to borrow it, we can go. So you and I lived in Melbourne, both lived in Melbourne. I'd go, hey, I've reset everything. There is one thing that I can't properly reset and you'll pick that up really quickly. But here it is. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. That's really cool. Um, from that to a game that is really easy to reset. Once again, I'm talking about a solo game that starts with F. That's my deal today. Solo <laughs> games that start with F. This one is uh, by the king of uh, designing games that start with F, Friedman Freese, who only designs games that start with the letter F. Um, I don't know if you know that, Jeff, other than uh, his most popular game actually which in english is called power grid but in german i believe is called Fugenschlag. so yeah. all his games start with f and uh this one is friday so friday is a game where you play as friday the character from uh what's that um robinson, Castaway robinson, story? Crusoe. robinson crusoe thank you so much yeah you You're play welcome. as friday helping robinson uh survive his stay on the island and eventually fight off the pirates who are going to come to attack him. This game is the opposite of Final Girl in a few ways. And the first way is it is bloody tiny. It is so small. If you're watching us on video at the moment, you'll be able to see up in the top left there all of the components that come in the box. That wow. deck next to the bottom of the box, that is a standard size deck of cards. This, this box is really little. Really, it is a deck of cards and some tokens. Um, hmm. And it works in a really neat way. It is basically a one-player deck builder. You start with a tiny little deck of cards, and then on your turn, you're going to go through the deck of obstacles three times. So if you look on the right of the screen right now, you can see an obstacle, which has uh, rafting out to a shipwreck. And that card tells you, on the left-hand side of the card, it says you can draw one card to face this obstacle. And then it tells you the difficulties on the right-hand side. If this is your first run through your deck, you need to beat zero. If it's your second run, you need to beat one. If it's your third run, you need to beat three. And all the cards have a different strength. If you look at the card on the left there, that card is distracted, which is worth minus one. Because mm. bloody Robinson is always freaking distracted when you need him to focus. What a pain. Except you have a limited amount of uh, food tokens that represent Robinson's health that you can spend to draw additional cards. And nice. if you fail, then you lose food tokens equal to how much you failed by. When you do that, you get to purge cards that you drew for that event from the table. So in this example, if I drew distracted, maybe I go, yeah, I'll fail. I'll lose some food. And in doing so, I'll also get rid of distracted. And Robinson won't be distracted anymore. I won't draw that card from the deck again. Mm. On the flip side, if you do successfully complete the challenge, you take that challenge card, flip it upside down, and slot it into your deck. 
So for example, if you complete that raft challenge there, the other side of it is an equipment card, which lets you draw two more cards for free. So if I do manage to get out to the shipwreck, I take that shipwreck card, flip it upside down. Now it's an equipment card, slot it into my discard pile. Next time I need to go through my deck, I've got a card that draws two cards. Such a simple idea. And every turn you draw two challenges to choose between. So you're going, hmm, this one's really challenging, but pays off with a really good card. This one's not as challenging, doesn't pay off as well. Do I take the easy one to succeed it easily? Take a dodgy card? Do I take the difficult one? Try really hard to get a good card? Do I take the difficult one? Try to fail it on purpose? Get rid of dodgy cards from my deck so I don't draw them anymore? The amount of decision-making in this tiny deck of cards and a few tokens is unreal. I think it's just incredible the amount that Friedman Freese has packed in here. And that idea of the challenge cards and the player cards being the same cards is divine. Um, That's lovely. Really, really clever. Yeah, that sounds terrific. And obviously it's got a lot of replayability because, you know, you've got options that you that you might not take that you're going to take next time, et cetera. Yeah, exactly right. Um, And the going through the deck three times really intrigues me. Yeah, it does. And the fact that all he had to do was put different numbers, three different numbers on each card to make the game get more difficult as it goes on, as you acquire more stuff. Mm. It's so simple. It's so clever. Um, The fact that this game works is unreal to me. I didn't quite mention the big finale where at the start of the game, two pirate ships come out and they'll each have a huge target number and some special challenge on them. So for example, and you can see like the most powerful card in the game is like a four or a five. And you'll get a pirate ship out that says, yeah, you can draw nine cards for this. You need a strength of 30 to beat it. And you're like, jeepers creepers, what am I going to do? But then you get enough cards that you get things that draw you extra free cards. And, you know, you can discard cards and redraw them. And you choose to discard ones with abilities you've already used. So you can draw it again to use the ability again. Um, Yeah, wicked stuff in a tiny little box. That's Friday. And again, both of my games this week were solo games. Don't buy them expecting them to play two-player unless you're a freak like me who will sit with your partner and cooperatively make one decision. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I'm yeah, so that's a bit of a classic game from me. I know, Jeff, you've you've been playing a game a lot that it's not super old, but I think people could call it a classic already. Oh, it's an absolute classic. It's, it's about a decade old now, I think. Uh, I can't be a hundred percent sure. Let me just look up the Google machine on exactly when. No, you talk and then I'll Google machine it, mate. Okay. Uh, this is, you mentioned earlier (coughs) when reviewing Final Girl, excuse me, there was a, uh, there was one that was very much based in a spaceship with an alien. Uh, I'm talking about the closest thing to an alien board game you will ever see. in the brilliant, the absolutely sublime Nemesis. Nemesis is incredible. I'll jump in, Jeff. Nemesis is half a decade old, came out in 2018. Well, there we go. It's still still just just before our cutoff. We said said about four years, so just before our cutoff. Um, Nemesis is set in a spaceship called the Nemesis, and you are one of five roles. You are the captain. You're well. You are you are one. Of, there are five players. It's a five player limit. You can be a medic. You can be the captain. You can be the pilot. You can be the soldier. You can be the engineer. You can be the scout, uh, and or you could be. And there, there there is one more that eludes me at the moment. Now, uh, as you're going through the ship, uh, everyone has their own mission, and everyone has their own objective. You could want to get the egg back. There's a, there's a lair, and you could want to get those eggs back, or you could want to get a little parasite in your body and go back home, or you could want to completely screw up the crew and destroy the engines and destroy the ship. You could want to send a beacon. There's nice things. There's evil things. There's you need to make sure that player four doesn't survive, 
and you look across at player four and go, you have to die. I need to make sure you die. And the paranoia increases. People that you really love playing games with get you really paranoid. Simply by going, I'm going to go in that direction. And you look at them and go, oh, my God, you've got to blow up the ship. Well, maybe they don't. Maybe they're just going in that direction. This is a game where you cannot possibly do everything you need to do because the game is timed. You only have so long to check the engines, make sure they're functioning, check the direction you're going and make sure you're going home. Make sure if you run out of fire tokens or malfunctioning tokens, the ship blows up. You can then escape on an escape pod or you can go back into hypersleep. You wake up not knowing where anything is. You've got hypersleep amnesia. So you're crawling through. And you, every, every room you go into, you make noise. You've got to put down a little bit of noise tokens. Two noise tokens in a, in a corridor, and you've got to dip into a little bag that brings out an alien. You better hope it's not the queen. Because if it's the queen, you're in trouble. It's not the word I was going to use, but I've realized we haven't used naughty words so far. So I'm yeah, we're cool. <laughs> it's an incredible game. It is an absolutely incredible game. It is one of my favorite games simply because it is completely immersive. You believe you are on this ship. I've played it in numerous settings. We were we were at BorderCon playing it, and the guys in the table next to us were playing this loud, noisy, raucous games, and we were seriously going, well, I wish they'd shut up because we were that focused on what we were doing. This is just an amazing game. And, of course, the replayability is high because there's so many missions and so many characters. There's a sequel that's called Nemesis Lockdown, and there's another one that I'll talk about a bit later. I cannot recommend Nemesis highly enough. It is a longer game, towards three and a half hours probably, but good God is it fun. And, of course, you've got a deck of cards. Everything you do is dictated by the deck of, deck of cards and your mission. Yeah. Nemesis is a bit of a blind spot for me. I know how universally well-received it is, but I haven't gotten to play this yet, um, which I really desperately want to play it. One of the things that I find with hidden traitor games is that, and this is something I've talked about with Dead of Winter, mm. and it's something that concerns me with Nemesis. I find that for what those games are often trying to do, they can take a long time, especially if at the end you feel like, well, the traitor just minced us. That game was a wash. Ah, oh, well, two hours down the drain. Here's what... Do, do you feel that in Nemesis? Not really. And, and I'll give you an example. Can I just give you a quick example of a game I played? Please. I was playing with my friends Bryce, Georgia, and Gemma. Okay, the four of us were playing, and my role was to make sure that one other person survives. Gemma's role, unbeknownst to us, was to make sure she killed the queen. She killed the queen, and her role was not the soldier. Like, the soldier can usually get through the queen. Most other characters can't. The queen is very dangerous. So I had said the whole game, I mentally I'd gone, right, I'm going to look after Bryce. Bryce and I will get out of this ship. We'll be fine. Everything. And Gemma, just anytime someone was dipping in the bag, she was going, the queen, the queen, the queen, the queen. <laughs> and of course we're going, Gemma, will you shut up? Gemma, will you give it a rest? Obviously, we didn't trust Jim at all. Now, the beautiful thing is you can't directly attack people. So you have to find clever ways to get them around this. So eventually, I spent the whole game trying to protect Bryce. Gemma's going the queen, the queen. The queen comes along, and sadly, Gemma doesn't last. Gemma decides she's going to fight the queen. She doesn't last. And then I looked at Georgia. And Georgia was one step. Oh, I was on the. I I got off the ship on an escape pod. Once you're on an escape pod, the game's over for you. I got off the ship on an escape pod and I looked at Georgia, and Georgia went into hyperspace, and she and I won. I was trying to save Bryce, and Georgia had just come up and been been able to be saved. That was fantastic, and I did what I could to save her at that point, like um, just before I launched the escape pod. 
did yeah. what I could to save her. That's the beauty of the game. There are so many ways to win. There has only been one game, and I played it maybe 12 times. There's only been one game where everyone chose a good mission and it kind right. of ruined the game a little bit because we became a cooperative game. And that game as a cooperative game doesn't work as well. It's when you've got the hidden traitor that it works. Um, I would feel say... like that's because it needs the hidden traitor to have the um, the kind of emotional feeling around the table, right? Or is it just simply the, too the, easy? The emotional feeling and the tension. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy because it's so easy to just go, uh, there's the queen and there's the, uh, there's the adult and now... Um, Someone is just going to close some doors, even inadvertently, and you can't get through because the doors can be closed on you and you can be stuck in there. Amazing. Just a beautiful game. I can't recommend it enough. Just just fantastic. Well, look, normally after we talk about a couple of board games, we go on and we talk about what's coming up on crowdfunding, right? Things that we're interested in crowdfunding. Is there something that maybe you've seen on crowdfunding to do with Nemesis that you'd like to talk about? Yes, there is. It's coming up very soon. They reckon it's in the third quarter of this year, which is almost out. Uh, So it must be coming within a matter of weeks. It is Nemesis Retaliation. It is the final uh, Nemesis board game. So, so far there are two. There is Nemesis and there's Nemesis Lockdown, which is one on Mars. And this is Nemesis Retaliation. I think this is the human's revenge but it's still not going to be easy. If it's got the same mechanics as Nemesis and Lockdown, it's going to be a barrel load of fun. I cannot recommend this enough. Um, Obviously, I don't know what the Kickstarter is going to look like, but whatever it is, it's going to be a wild ride. Uh, They have designed the game. They finished the initial game but they're keeping everything close to their chest. Awakened Realms do the most immersive games. They really do, the most wonderfully immersive games. They are beautiful. <laughs> they did Tainted Grail, which was great. They did Etherfields, which is which is fine. It's okay. And then, of course, Nemesis is, is just, you know, it, it is their, their flagship game. And this is the final one. And uh, if you've missed out on other expansions and things before, apparently when they release a Kickstarter or a Game Found pledge, they release everything. So you'll be able to get Lockdown, um, Nemesis, all the stretch goals, all the untold stories, everything, just all in a bundle, uh, including the Medic, which is very difficult to get. I bought it from a shop in the US for $25 US. It now retails for $150 US. So, <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of money. So, yeah, I was quite lucky to get it for 25 bucks. Cost me about a hundred, including shipping, but it was fine. It's worth it. It's a great character. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, look, I am I am unashamedly a fan of Nemesis, so I, I strongly recommend if you've never played it, play it, and if you like it, back this Kickstarter. It's a good one. All righty. Well, from a game that's going to inc- include some huge hunks of plastic to exactly the opposite, just a big box of nothing but cards. I'm going to be talking about. Innovation Ultimate. Now, Innovation Ultimate is currently available on GameFound, um, and it is the ultimate version of Innovation. Innovation, if you don't know it, is Carl Chittick's best game. Yes, I came out and said it. Take that, glory to Rome fans. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to be straight up here. I don't know if I recommend backing Innovation Ultimate. All right? And we'll get to why in just a second. First off, I'll talk about what's included. You get Innovation Ultimate. You get Innovation, every existing expansion for Innovation, and a new expansion called The Unseen, which, as you can see here, includes such incredible, mind-blowing things as Age 11 and Splaying Diagonally. No way! Um <laughs> I, I say that jokingly. <laughs> if you've played Innovation before, the idea of splaying diagonally and an 11th age is kind of insane. Um, this looks like an absolutely jam-packed package of a really, really, really good little game where you can go in so many directions. 
Here's the reason that I may not recommend backing this. And it's because if you include shipping, getting this Innovation Ultimate to Australia is going to cost you 90 US dollars, right? Now, for a lot of game, that's not bad, but it is a fair whack of money, especially when the base game for Innovation I bought recently from Amazon for, I think, about 30 bucks. It's a little deck of cards, and it is unbelievably replayable. Basically, Mm. every card in the game can be the card you build your game around. It is so replayable, so intense in the way you can sequence things, that I don't necessarily know if I need one expansion, let alone five. Yeah, I... I completely understand that. I love innovation. I think innovation is a wonderful game, but I don't own it. I play it at a friend's house. He's got it. Uh, my he, he's part of my Tuesday night board gaming group, and he he loves the game, so we play it quite often. It's just that simple, beautiful strategy game that you play, uh, and someone can mess you over really easily, and you kind of laugh oh, yeah. about it and move on. It's just a fun game. I agree with you. I can't see the point in five expansions and 90 US, which is, oh, about 160 Australian right now. So that's a a lot of money. That's a lot of money. In saying that, you could be a person who just plays innovation. Like it is that kind of game where you could get hundreds of games of innovation under your belt with no problem. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I will I will put that in front of my friend and go, hey, did you know about this? Uh, and he'll probably tell me to go away. He'll ask me if I like sex and travel. Let's just say that. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, um, no, it's, it's a ridiculously large amount for, while innovation is amazing, it's something that you kind of need to sort of test. Um, so, yeah, you know. I, I would say this is one where the advantage of innovation being 30 bucks is get a copy of innovation. This uh, this project is running until September. You've got time. Get a copy of innovation. Jam a couple of games. If you decide that it is the game for you and you are going to play innovation once a week for the rest of your life, innovation ultimate, is the value is kind of crazy because each of those expansions is the size of the base game. Mm. And you're getting five of them. So mm. you're getting six boxes for 90 US dollars. That It is good value from that direction. Isn't but I think that the base game of expand, of innovation is such ridiculous value that it's hard to go past. And but I did want to bring attention to that. And it has been around forever. It's been around for so long. Yeah, it has. Um, my second Kickstarter, I, I, I'm not sure whether to back this one or not. It is a little bit cheaper, which is kind of nice, in that the base game will be about $60. It's called Rival Trove. It's a tabletop game. Um, it, 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 it's a few genres in one. Uh, it feels like a competitive free-for-all while minimizing the chance of any single player being absolutely steamrolled to the point where they never want to play a game. Second mission is a, a dice and modify mechanic from role-playing games. And then, of course, it has a rogue ability set in as well this looks like fun it just looks like a fun silly game um <coughs> i think uh, that you can play up to six um and i think it would be i i also am not sure whether to back this this would be something i prefer to hear what what others think you know wait for dice tower to, to do their review wait and see if there's a playthrough with the no no rolls bad gang but it does look like fun. It looks like a lot of fun. Uh, the the additional um, the additional levels. It's on Kickstarter, by the way. The additional levels, a miniature, which you know, forget that, and a special edition uh, in a three D uh, in a box. <laughs> so clearly, they're not banking on a lot of people getting those. They're they're more looking at just getting the base game out there, uh, but. You know, it 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 does look like fun. It looks like a, a really really fun kind of dungeon crawler mix with just cards. Maybe a, a bit like Munchkin, but probably not 
quite the same, probably a bit more serious than Munchkin. I don't know if I'm reading too far into this, but the art style of Rival Trove really reminds me of a game called Dream Quest. And Dream Quest is, it looks exactly like this, but Dream Mm. Quest is the game that inspired games like Slay the Spire. The guy who designed Dream Quest made the whole game by himself, did all the art in Microsoft Paint. It looks very much like Rival Trove. And he went on to work on Hearthstone. They they picked him up based on how good his game design chops were in that wow. digital card game space and put him on Hearthstone. I think that Rival Trove does seem to be the first game from this company. I, You know, there's, there's no doubt yeah. about that. But that's not going to stop it from being good. And I wonder if they've seen, like, Dream Quest existing and going, you know what? We can a first-time company putting out a game with art that looks like this. But if you look at Dream Quest, you know that if the game's good enough, people will enjoy it regardless of what it looks like. Mm. So I don't know if that's reading too far into it, but considering there's a roguelike element there in a card game, and Dream Quest is a roguelike card game, the originator of the roguelike card game that looks almost exactly like this, um, you know, it, it definitely looks interesting. I don't know that it is something that's a hundred percent go out and back it now but if you like roguelike deck roguelike deck builders this may be something that's worth checking out uh yeah absolutely yeah i've got uh my last one is one that's much smaller much more uh approachable and it's something that i really like in crowdfunded games and it is the good old print and play only crowdfund game so this one nice. is called Kaikoro Kingdoms. So if you back this, it costs like a couple of bucks. You get PDFs, you print it out, you grab some dice and a pencil, and you go. I love that in a Kickstarter because yeah. it means that the risk that you're facing is basically zero, right? It's got a really cool theme where you play as little guys fighting off kaiju who are attacking. This is actually a sequel to uh, Kaikoro, which is a roll and write, which seemed to be reasonably well-received for one of these tiny little print-and-play roll and write games. And some of the pledge levels on this project just also include the other roll and write games that have been done by this company, right? So if you back it, you can get it with Kaikoro for like a couple of bucks right i think the uh just kaikoro kingdoms the new one is like nine dollars and then it's about five bucks to add each other game that they've made and then you print them out and you've got a game um you know you can't go wrong with that the art is really really cute uh they had a game that was quite well received that is also an add-on called art artist slime which has you, uh, it's you're you're collecting like JRPG slimes and then mixing their colors to create art. Um, I think that one was reasonably well received, so that's you know worth noting. Um, but yeah, it looks like a neat little roll and write game with a cute theme, and I, I can't see any reason not to be invested in that. So that's Kaikoro Kingdoms. It sounds terrific. It just sounds yeah. like straightforward and terrific. Um, and, and a lot of games start as print-to-play. I mean, certainly yes. uh, a game I'll be talking about very soon in Blood on a Clock Tower started as a print-to-play. So, you know, wonderful, wonderful. Oh, you'll be talking about Blood on the Clock Tower, will you? I, I think I will. As a newer game, I should be talking about Blood on a Clock Tower. Oh, right. At some point in the podcast's lifespan, yes. you mean. Yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely agree. I thought you meant much more immediately. Because what we're going to be doing immediately is we're doing a bit of a draft here, folks. This is something that we like to do every episode. We talk about games, but then rather than doing like a top 10 list or something like that, we have a bit of a competition. We have a bit of a draft. And today we are drafting games that are worth the time. Games that you've got to sink some time into, but boy, oh boy, are they worth it. They pay off your time investment in a big way. i got a couple of picks that I think might come a bit out of left field. I'm really hoping Todd uh, that Jeff doesn't steal my first pick here. Sorry for calling you Todd, Todd there, mate. Who's yeah, Todd? Yeah, I know. 
it's just whenever I think of someone doing something that's like really jerky, really that I don't like at all, I just call them Todd instinctively. I don't it's, know what's going on there. It, it's fine. He won't listen to this anyway. So. <laughs> no, we're not. All right. Um, Jeff, start us yep. off, mate. A game it's, that's worth the time. What have you got? A game that's absolutely 100% worth the time. It's a four-hour game. At minimum, it is number one on Board Game Geek right now. It is, of course, Brass Birmingham. Brass Birmingham is a wonderful game. Before we go, before we say anything, whenever Brass Birmingham gets mentioned, I have to say something. I have played Brass Birmingham once. It was against Martin Wallace, the designer of Brass, and I won that game. You may continue. Thank you. You, you I think you've mentioned that on here before, so it's quite funny. I have. Brass Birmingham is a wonderful game. Uh, it's basically a worker placement game, but you need to link up your workers to get better, better rewards, higher rewards. You, you, it, you're, you're building industries. You're making money. The great thing is. You can be a male or a female industrialist. There's two sides of the same coin. Generally, they have male or female. It is a wonderful game. It's taken all the components of Brass Lancashire and actually sped them up and knotted them together so they move a bit, bit quicker and a bit faster. Um, I believe someone on this podcast played against the uh, designer of the game and won. Can't be sure on that. Could be full of poo-poo but uh, look it's a wonderful game uh it's um it's a thinking game and and good long games do make you think um it's a real thinker you've really got to have strategies in place um and there are ways to get rid of lower value pieces off your board and recruit higher value pieces look there's there's no doubt there's a reason it's number one on board game geek there's a reason it's so so loved at the moment and that is because it's a great game it is simply fantastic. I cannot, I cannot go past recommending Brass Birmingham enough. Brass Birmingham is absolutely phenomenal. Like I, I will brag about that, but um, the only reason I have only played it the once is because I've only had one opportunity. I desperately, desperately, desperately want to play it more because that game is phenomenal. I'm um, sure you'll get. I'm sure you'll get to play it again, especially if I come up for a visit. Because the beautiful oh, thing about yeah. Brass Birmingham is, is the box is about that big. And yeah. everything you need is in that box. Everything. Yeah, absolutely just fantastic. Uh, okay. Time for my number one. And I'm really glad that Jeff hadn't, hasn't stolen this one away from me. Because I really thought about what it meant for a game to be worth the time. Right? Now, this one, one play of this game is not particularly long. But if you're going to play this game... Playing it once will not give you the experience of having played this game. Oh, you need wow. to play this game at least 12 times because this is a legacy game and you're not getting the experience unless you invest that time in. Now, I am, of course, talking about the best legacy game, Pandemic Legacy Season 1. It's brilliant. This it's is brilliant. an absolute belter. Pandemic is a tried-and-true system. And adding legacy to it was not only a good idea, but was executed to perfection. I, I, I have a slight issue with this, Lachlan. Sure, This yeah. is not evidence of a game that's worth your time. It is evidence of a legacy game, and there is a difference. Oh, see, I'm very much disagree this game is really takes investment because of the fact that look people will tell you that you don't have to play with the same group the whole way through oh you absolutely do you need to you, you really absolutely need to, need to. All, and all legacy games need to have the same people and each game of this Sure, you can get through a game a bit more quickly but once you add in the setup and the reading all of the story stuff each game is a minimum of an hour. Yeah. And you're playing a minimum of 12 of these in order to get the experience of this game, right? Mm -hmm. More typically, you'll probably be playing, you know, 16 odd games of this. So to get this experience, we're talking about 16 hours worth of gameplay. I, I think that's a big time investment for a game. I understand 
that it is not. You know, we said when we said games worth your time, and you might have another fight with me on this later, but I think the time investment required to get Pandemic Legacy is significant, but it is worth it. I can you I, disagree with that? No, I, I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but I think that legacy games is a separate category unto itself, is more my point. Like, I accept perfectly, like, all the pandemic legacy games are great. Zero, one, two, and I think there's three. Um, you know, it is, as you say, it's a tried and true system. It's a wonderful, wonderful series of games. But from my perspective, you see, now I'm avoiding saying, now for me, I'm saying from my perspective, <laughs> uh, <laughs> legacy games are different to games worth your time. From uh, Games worth your time to me are longer games that you will play for a length of time. Like my second pick. Yep. My second it pick is. is one I mentioned on our very first podcast. It is a four to five hour game. And that, of course, is hegemony. Hegemony is a beautiful game. It is ultimately a challenge and slightly depressing because you're playing a strata of society. There is the working class, there's the middle class, there's the capitalist, and there is the state. Uh, all have to work together, but yet you need to work for yourself. So the wonderful thing about being the working class is you can, I've just gone. No, there we go. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can put your workers on strike if, other, if your wages have dropped. You can go on strike and people will have to pay you more. They have to up your wage to the maximum. It is a great game. It is a beautiful game. Uh, it's a very long game. It's a very thinky game again. But boy, does it, it just, you know, uh, I mentioned it a month ago and I'm still raving about it because the games stay with you after you finish. And that is the mark of a great game anyway. But this particularly just stays in your noggin and keeps ticking over. Oh, I should have done that. And I should have done that. Great game. This is one that I do desperately want to play, um, and I know how long it is, and that does not dissuade me at all. Uh, it looks really excellent, so I can't argue with this. Uh, this one is going to be more along the lines of what you're thinking, Jeff. This is a game <laughs> that you're going to sit down, and it's going to take a while. But just quietly, I've only played this game a couple of times. It might be my favorite game. It's wow. it's that good. It appeals to me so specifically. It's uh, it's all the stuff that I love personally, um, but it's also long, two hours minimum, and that's if everyone knows what they're doing. And you need people who know what they're doing because this is a real time negotiation game with euro elements. It is sidereal confluence. I oh, bloody love this game. Have you played this, Jeff? No, but people okay. rave about Sidereal Confluence. Yeah, because it's one of the best games I've ever played. It's phenomenal, right? The <laughs> idea is it's imagine um, if you know Cosmic Encounter, you'll get this vibe. Yeah. Everyone plays as a unique alien race, right? So you've got all different people, and each race has kind of their own way of operating. So there's a race that is very good at making warships and going into combat. There's a race mm -hmm. that is terrible at combat but can make a ton of money right all these different things the the game itself is a euro game you have little machines that turn resource a into resource b and then you need a bunch of resources to buy things that give you victory points yeah really straightforward some machines turn resources into victory points great here's the problem your machines will pump out a bunch of resource x but they cost resource Y to run them. And you don't make any resource Y. <laughs> so you will need resource Y from the other people at the table. And they need resource Y to run their engine. And their engine makes resource Z. And that guy needs resource Z to run his engine to make resource X. And chaos ensues. <laughs> you are all sitting around, you've all got your own engines, you're competing for the stuff in the middle, but you know that your race's special power is that you can give away ships for free. 
But how are you going to make a profit off that? You've got to work out how to build that into your negotiation, right? This is so buck wild. It is so <laughs> difficult to get your head around. It's a two-hour Euro game, but everyone at the table needs to have their head into it the whole time because if you start offering trades that just advantage Bob over there, Bob's going to win the game. Yeah, right. I bloody love sidereal confluence i will put a whole day aside for it at the drop of a hat if you give me the chance to play sidereal confluence i'll spend eight hours organizing people getting it ready setting it up worth every that's, second that's phenomenal that is absolutely phenomenal i i have to have a look for that game i do i have to have a look yeah. it's uh my final game is twilight imperium no it's not it's not it's not. It's just it's too much for me, Twilight Imperium. Uh, but my final game is Wonderland's War. Wonderland's War. Oh, I'm so is excited to play this. A delightful game. It is beautiful. Like you'll put the box up, and that will almost do it misjustice because it's more than just the box. It's a, the, like the 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 colors and the 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 land is amazing. Basically. You play one of the characters of Alice in Wonderland. So you play Alice the Cheshire Cat, the Mad Hatter, Queen of Spades, or one, two, three. There's a fifth. Uh, Alice the Mad Hatter, the Cheshire Cat. There is Queen a of fifth. Queen of Hearts, or sorry, there's definitely a fifth. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I, the fifth one eludes me at the moment. And what you're doing is you are placing uh, your your um, armies in certain areas of Wonderland that are worth different points. So it's got a little bit of um, uh, what's that game called? We, we've discussed it two or three times. Uh, the one where you, you're putting armies in lands and, and depending on the round, the points Ethnos. grow. Ethnos, yes. It's a little bit, thank you. It's a little bit like Ethnos in that function. But then there's, it, it, it's a push-your-luck game. So you're drawing things out of a bag and, of course, uh, the 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 Mad Hatter's Tea Party has madness associated. So if you pull out madness, you can flip your shield over and deny the madness. But then once you flipped it over once, the madness comes again. It is such fun. It is a wonderful game. It is a very, very, very long game. It runs about three to four hours. But boy, is it a delight. Wonderland's War is just... A beautiful game. The theme is perfect, and it just yeah, you can see there the colours and the uh, and the um, the way it looks. You've got your own board, and you've got your own way of pushing your luck, and you make your own improvements and things like that. It's it's lovely. It really is lovely. There's an expansion coming soon, uh, the Shards of Madness expansion, and I am very very excited about this. It's it's a wonderful wonderful game. Yeah, this is one where I've got a friend who has it and uh, I'm going to learn it so that we can play it together because it just looks so brilliant. Yeah, um, but with this with this game, you do want to play it with the five. You want to give it that okay. like, full game spec instead of just two of you because it wouldn't run the same at two. wouldn't run as well. Great tip. All right. Once again, Jeff might have a problem with this. Once again, I'm talking about a game that if you sit down and play a game of this, it takes about 45 minutes. The problem being that to get to the point where you are sitting down for a 45-minute game is going to take you days of learning terminology, learning which cards should go into a deck because it is a deck construction game. This is... Uh, a living card game, but more than that, this is one of the most complex card games I have ever laid eyes on, and it is phenomenal. This is Android Netrunner, right? Oh, everyone and raves about Netrunner. Android Netrunner is absolutely, it's perfection. Like, obviously, there's things that, I say perfection, the game is not perfect. But man, it's close. Uh, 
if you play Android Netrunner, you need to learn its vocabulary. That sounds ridiculous, but in a game like Magic the Gathering, it's easy enough to go, oh, you play, by the way, library means deck. Okay, we're good to go. Not the case in Android Netrunner. Android Netrunner is asymmetrical. You need to show up with two different decks, right? One to play as a runner and one to play as the corporation. And when you put them down on the table, the corporation deck is called R&D, but the runner's deck is called the stack. And the corporation's discard pile is called the archives, and that's face down. But the runner's discard pile is face up, and that's called the trash. And you literally need to learn different words for each player's hand, right? Because it's so asymmetrical. There's literally its own language. But this game gets so much out of this cyberpunk theme. The runner is trying to hack into the uh, corporation's deck and hand and cards on the table to find agenda cards which are worth points. They're how you score the game. It's first to seven points wins, but all of the points are in the corporation deck. If the runner can find them, they expose them to the public and they score them, whereas the corporation has to install them into a server, pour time and money into it, and then score it. But can you keep the runner away? Can you install ice and firewalls to protect your servers? And if you spend time doing that, is the runner just going to go, oh, I'm going to run into your hand and see what's in your hand and pop it out of your hand before you get the chance to install it in a server? This game is absolutely unreal, but the learning curve is a its a bloody line. It's not a curve. <laughs> there is so much that you have to get in your head before you can effectively play a game of this. It's a nightmare. And even me, who have, I've played probably hundreds of games of Netrunner, I've fallen off it recently. I'm not up to date with uh, like what's legal in the format because also Netrunner doesn't exist anymore. So you've got to learn about Nisei, which I don't believe is called Nisei anymore because I'm behind because it's now a fan-made project to keep the game alive and they're printing new cards and they have distinct legality on what printed from where is legal. So you can play different formats. So you want to play startup format, which is just what they've printed onwards. The amount of time you have to invest to play this game is huge but it's god it's worth it because this is the best card game ever the best collectible card game ever i don't object to that as much as i do the pandemic legacy because legacy games are a different category legacy games are a different category this you explained why it's worth the time rather than just going it's a legacy game a legacy game is worth the time because i was going to do legacy games another week i think we still should because there's a lot of great legacy games Legacy that was games me being long... very cheeky. I was very legacy cheeky. games. Legacy games are long narrative games uh, in the same category. So, like the initiative, which is a long narrative game. Yeah, and another one. Yeah, that all right. It, it would have been like me putting Dungeons and Dragons on there because you play it for you know months straight. It's yeah. like yeah, but you don't actually have to spend that long playing it. It's a different thing. Um, I've never dungeoned, nor have I dragoned. There you go. You've there's never a, dungeoned a, or dragoned? I've never dungeoned nor have I dragoned. Have you role-playing gamed? No. Oh, Jeff. I'll have to I'll have to run something for you, my friend. I would I would love that. I would love that. Awesome. Hopefully in person at some point. Yes. Yeah, that'd be a delight. Hopefully. So here is our draft. Controversially, I have picked Pandemic Legacy Season 1, followed by Sidereal Confluence and Android Netrunner. Jeff has picked Brass Birmingham, Hegemony, Lead Your Class to Glory, and Wonderland's War. Different lists for sure. If you want to tell us whose list you thought is better, man, there's a ton of places you can do it. If you're on Twitter slash X, we're at Board of Games Pod. We're at Board of Games Podcast on Instagram. Go on Facebook, search for Board of Games. We're here on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Board of Games Podcast. You can follow the stream, hit that follow button, get notified every time we go live. Hey, you can tweet slash seat at us personally. I'm at Lachlan Albert. Jeff is at Jeff underscore SETI. And you can let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to see from the pod. Let us know what you want us to draft in a future episode. Look, we're still coming to grips with things, as you saw by the technical difficulties during this episode, especially because I don't know what Jeff is drafting beforehand, so I have to make those slides as he talks. So we have a very fun time with that. But um, look, 
I have so much fun doing this with you, Jeff, talking about board games. I absolutely Did I love it. Did it's uh, so much fun. So just to cover through the games we talked about on this podcast, again, if you want to uh, look up anything and you've forgotten what anything is called, I'm going to run through that now just quickly as I see the screen. Jeff talked about The Initiative and Nemesis. I spoke about Final Girl and Friday. Uh, then we spoke about upcoming uh, crowdfunding campaigns. Jeff spoke about Nemesis Retribution and Rival Trove, while I spoke about Innovation Ultimate and Kaikoro Kingdoms. And then for our draft, we mentioned Brass Birmingham, uh, Pandemic Legacy, Hegemony, Lead Your Class to Victory, Sidereal Confluence, Wonderland's War, and Android Netrunner. Uh, I'd quickly like to thank Actual Lol as well for providing the theme song that we play before the episode kicks off. Now, uh, also, I just want to say, if you are a game designer and you want to send us some games to review, we are more than happy with that. Uh, you know, Absolutely. Uh, like, if you've got a game that you're like, hey, I'm going to release this in the next couple of years or I'm going to throw this up on Kickstarter, send it our way. Uh, I know that we're not in the same city, which makes it a little more difficult, but we're happy to have a look at it. Yeah, and I can tell you for a fact that I love giving feedback on unreleased games. It is I, I'm so interested in game design, and uh, I, I love picking apart little intricacies in systems and seeing what makes it tick. Um, so please do drop us a line, get in touch. Uh, you can get in touch in all those places I just mentioned. Jeff, is there anything else we've got to touch on before we go? Uh, no, but if you're interested in the other thing we do, uh, we'll be talking about SummerSlam on Thursday. Yeah, Thursday night at twitch.tv slash WrestleRadio Australia, and you can find all of our stuff on the WrestleRadio Australia social media, uh, WrestleRadio AU on uh, X slash Twitter and on Instagram. So you'll be able to find us there. But until then, that has been Jeff Setti. I have been Lachlan Albert. Till next time, have a good one. See ya. Let me get the thing. The bloody in Bergeros, you should go chaos, most wrapped up pandemic K2. Noir ladies and gentlemen, sheriff of Nottingham, stinker redacted in